On this week's Cracking the Code, we're going to continue our conversation about becoming an exceptional service technician. We're still talking about step three, which is training. Today, we're going to talk about solving the problem and closing the deal. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there and Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the first steps in the risk process. Again, risk is an acronym, R-I-S-E. Build a relationship, investigate the problem, solve the problem, and of course, bring the call to a conclusion, and hopefully you close it. In the last two weeks, we covered the relationship and investigation stages. If you haven't watched that, I highly recommend you go back and watch that, because this is a process. Each step builds on the, on the previous step, right? If you're a member, you have access to all those archives. If you're not a member, fill the information on this page, and you're going to get free access temporarily so you can see if this program is a good fit for your company. As I always say, I'm sure that it's going to be. So we've been talking about relationship and investigation. Today we're going to talk about solving the problem and kind of selling your solution, selling you know, your company. Once you've identified what the problems are, it's time to move into recommending solutions and showing why your, your company's better. Think about it for a second. In the relationship building phase, you're just getting to know your homeowner. Right? You're demonstrating that you like them and they should like you. You're demonstrating your competence and your trustworthiness, all those types of things. In the investigation stage, you're finding out all the problems in the house, right? Airflow, indoor air quality, efficiency, whatever. And then now it's time to turn our attention towards specifically showing why should the customer trust us to fix these problems. You've got a good relationship. You've shown them the problems. Now we've got to demonstrate that we are the ones uniquely qualified to solve those problems. How do we do this? Well, there's a variety of ways that we can do this, right? Uh, this is a great time to have a book, a little three-ring binder with all of the accolades that you have in your, uh, in your company, right? Licensing, uh, you can have licensing, you can have before and after pictures, you can have testimonials, you can have NATE certification, your insurance, all these various factors that show that your company is qualified to fix this problem. You know, there's a great book called The Speed of Trust written by a guy named Stephen M. R. Covey, uh, Dr. Stephen Covey's son. And in The Speed of Trust, Dr. Covey talks about, you know, you want to earn trust in business, you want to earn trust in a sales call, but most people don't understand that trust is a, a reflection of both character and competence. Now, here's what I mean by that. Most of the time, people think when you're talking about being trustworthy, it's about your character, right? Being on time, keeping your word, being honest all those types of things. And all those things are super important. But as Covey points out in The Speed of Trust, you also have to demonstrate your competence. In other words, it's not enough for your customers just to know that you know, you're an honest person. They have to know that you're competent to do the job properly. The example that Stephen Covey uses in the book is, you know, if you had uh, a brain tumor and you had to have brain surgery, would you trust your wife to do the brain surgery? Probably not. Not unless she's a neurosurgeon, right? You can love her, you can trust her because she's an honorable, trustworthy woman. That does not mean that she's competent enough to do the work on your brain. So in the sales process, it's not enough to show, hey, we're good guys. We've got great guarantees. We always show up on time. We never lie to you. Those things are great. But you also have to demonstrate your competency. How do we do that? We have to show them we do things right. So there's a variety of ways we can do that. 
one of the things you can do in this stage is, you know, demonstrate your NATE certification or whatever certifications that you have, right? If you have a group of technicians that, you know, the, uh, are all 20 years experienced or more, highlight those types of things. I had a client one time, they, every technician in their company was NATE certified. So what they did is they got a list of every NATE certified technician in their county and they printed them out. There were hundreds of them. And then in their, in their what we call third-party book, you know, kind of a third-party validation book, they listed all those and highlighted all the ones that worked for them. And something like 80% of the NATE certified technicians worked for this company. So they would say, Mr. Homeowner, uh, let me explain what NATE certification is. They would explain their NATE certification. Then they would say, here's a list of all the NATE certified technicians in the county. All the ones that are highlighted work for us. The other 20% are spread between 100 different companies. What does that say about the competency of our technicians, right? So there's, there, there's really no right way or wrong way to do this. You just want to show that you have the competency to do the job. In fact, I want to share with you a quick video that gives an example of how you can use your workman's compensation insurance, your, your uh, liability insurance. How can you use these basic elements of business to show that you're competent and prepared to do the job better than your competition? Take a quick look at this video. All right, so uh, we've got the house all measured up. Uh, what I'm going to do now is to take the information that we just gathered through the measurements and, uh, and do some calculations and do that, uh, the load calculation that Department of Energy was talking about. While I do that, I would like for you all just uh, to look through here. Here's the Sarah Parker letter we talked about. Uh, there's a bunch of other letters uh, that you'll see in there as well. So just feel free to look around uh, as I begin to kind of crunch these numbers, okay? What I'd like to do now is uh, share a little more information with you about how we do an installation, uh, get you some prices, and then I'm going to get out of your hair. Okay? Okay. Great. Uh, what I'd like to do first is talk about very quickly about our installers and then how we do a proper installation. The thing that I want you to know about our installers is very simple. We don't just hire and, and recruit guys that are technically competent. They are technically competent. In fact, uh, as you may have seen in here, they're all NATE certified. Mm -hmm. Now, NATE certification is the National Alliance of Technical Excellence. It just means that they're very well trained. They know what they're doing. And obviously, it's very important to have uh, you know, skilled, technically qualified installers. But to me, it's equally important. Actually, to me, it's even more important that I want to have men of honor and character and integrity in your home. Because what I know is that everything that matters to you in your life is in this home. Uh, this is your sanctuary against the world. And, and Doug, when I'm, when I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to hire a guy, here's how I kind of like to think about the situation. I like to pretend it's installation day. And you're going off to work. And Jamie's here with the kids uh, mm -hmm. to kind of to be home while the installation is done. And as you're walking out that driveway, everything that matters to you on this planet is in this house. Your wife, your children, your, your pets, your possessions, everything that matters to you in this world is in this house. What I want you to understand is that I understand that. And that I understand that you expect the men that I put in your home to honor and to respect your home and your family in the same way that you would and the same way you would expect others to. So when my men are walking up the driveway and you're walking out to work, I want you to be perfectly comfortable with these men to feel comfortable that they're going in to your house while you're leaving. And you will be, because they're men of honor and integrity, they're family men, homeowners themselves, and they're gonna come in, 
respect your home, respect your family, and do their job so that you're never going to have to worry about what's going on in here while you're gone. Because I know this, Doug, there's a lot of companies out there. I know them. Uh, I know them all. And sometimes the guys that they would send in to do this job for you, you might be walking out to work, and they're walking in the house uh, where your wife and your family are. And maybe you size these guys up and you think, you know what, I better call in sick today and stick around the house and keep an eye on these guys. Mm -hmm. Because that's some of the guys that are out here in this industry. What I can promise you is this. The men that I'm going to put in your home are going to respect and honor your family the way you would expect them to, period. I appreciate that. Yeah. I know Jamie. Yeah, I'm sure Jamie appreciates that too. As well. Awesome, awesome. Uh, something else I want to talk to you about is this right here. This is our uh, Certificate of Liability Insurance and Workman's Compensation Insurance. Now, you may think uh, that's not your problem. That's uh, the company's problem. And to some degree, obviously, it is the company's problem. But sometimes it can become the homeowner's problem. Let me explain. I want you to notice right here that the effective date in this policy, that it's an active policy right now. And the reason I share that with you is because a lot of contractors, what they'll do in some cases is they will let their insurance policies lapse, especially workman's compensation, which is very expensive in our industry. Sometimes to save a little money, uh, you know, in hard times, they will drop those policies and not renew them. Mm. So imagine this scenario. A guy comes into your house. He's putting your system in. He's up in the attic. He's working on the system. All of a sudden, you hear a loud pop. The guy starts screaming. He comes racing down the ladder. Uh, he's screaming and hollering. You know, he's got three fingers cut off on one hand, and they rush him out to the hospital. Uh, they, they get him out there, and they wrap him up, uh, but he's lefty now, right? He's missing three fingers. He can't do HVAC business. Right. So he goes out to hire a personal injury attorney and who goes to the boss, and they file a lawsuit against the boss, against the company for an unsafe work condition, maybe unsafe tools. I mean, these are drills and, 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 and torches and, and saws and tin. It's very, very, you know, it's not, it's not child's play. It's very dangerous work. Well, after he's injured, he gets the personal injury attorney to go to the boss to file a workman's compensation claim, maybe even an unsafe working condition liability claim. They find out that the boss neglected to renew the insurance policies to save a couple of bucks. Where do you suppose the lawyer's coming next? Unfortunately, in this day and age, they're probably going to come and sue us. Absolutely. People will sue you for anything these days. You heard about the lady at McDonald's that spilled hot coffee on her lap and sued. She was surprised the coffee was hot. It was hot yeah. coffee, you know? Yeah. My favorite one is the guy, an old guy buys his Winnebago, right? He's driving down the interstate, and he puts it on cruise control and walks to the back of the Winnebago and starts making a pot of coffee. Well, much to his surprise, he wrecked. The guy sues Winnebago uh, for not clearly identifying that you have to operate this motor vehicle, right? I don't remember the outcome of that case, but the point is that the case was even filed. Uh, listen, people will sue you over anything these days. You have to make sure that you're protected. The reason that I carry this with me, the reason I share it with you is because, again, I want you to know that you're protected. I want you to know that anything happens on the job, that it's our problem, not your problem. We're not going to make our problem your problem. You have to have that confidence. Frankly, you deserve that confidence. So I just wanted to share that with you uh, as well. Now that video role play right there, that's, that, that's not like the only way to do it. I just use that as an example, how you can talk about your insurance, talk about your workman's comp, talk about the people that work for your company. What you're doing here, you've identified the problems in the investigation stage. Now you're showing, hey, we are uniquely qualified. We are the best qualified to handle this job for you, right? Whether it's a repair, a new system, whatever it is. You have to demonstrate that you're competent, not just that you're trustworthy, right? But also that you're competent to do the job. Once you've done that, you've shown, okay, 
you know, we've investigated the problems, here's why that I'm qualified to, to solve those problems. What we want to do next is we want to make sure and bring the call to a conclusion. If you think about the acronym RISC, R-I-S-C, the C does not stand for close because you cannot bring 100% of your calls to a close. What you can do is bring 100% of your calls to a conclusion. And this may shock some of you. This may go against, you know, kind of conventional wisdom. But my number one objective on any call, service call or sales call, and when I talk about your service call, I'm talking about the sales side of your service call. Anytime I'm trying to bring a sales opportunity to a close, I simply want to bring it to a conclusion and I want to get my homeowner to make a yes or no decision with me in front of them. And yes, I said yes or no. I don't care if it's a no. My number one objective is to get my homeowner to reach a final decision, a final conclusion about me and my company with me sitting right in front of them. Why is that important? Well, it should be pretty obvious. Think about this for a second. Your customers do not like to say no to your face. How do they like to say no? Well, they typically like to say no by not returning your phone calls and not returning your emails, right? That's how people want to say no. The reality is if you can get people to make a final decision with you in front of them, that decision will tend to be a yes because they don't want to reject you face to face. Now, if you give them the option and say, okay, if you decide you want to do something, call me, you're giving them permission to blow you off. Your objective should be to get them to reach a final decision. Yes is best, but no is a perfectly acceptable answer. Think about that for a second. In fact, I've got a friend of mine who wrote a book called Go For No. And it's a very simple concept, right? Instead of being afraid of the word no, what if your objective was every time you went on a service call that you tried to get your homeowner to say no to five different solutions, five different repairs or five different accessories, whatever. Imagine that, right? That would mean that you had to offer those solutions five different times. And if you got in the habit of offering solutions five different times, odds are you're going to stumble into a couple of yeses, right? So don't be afraid of the word no. What you should be afraid of is the I don't knows, right? The I don't knows that call me back next Tuesdays. Because the truth is, Tuesday never comes, right? You're going to sit around thinking you're going to get a sale, and it's going to be a phantom commission or a phantom sales opportunity. you got to keep your head on in front of you, right? Your sight in front of you. When you finish up with an opportunity, you got to give it every effort, your best shot to bring it to a conclusion. How do we do that? Well, it's very, very simple. All you have to do, if you've done a great job building a relationship, you've done a great job investigating the problems, you've done a great job showing why your company is the best one to solve the solutions, to sell the solutions, solve the problems, then all you have to do is say, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, based on everything I've learned about you here today, you know, I'm going to recommend these solutions. I'm going to recommend the indoor air quality package because you said little Susie, you know, was taking Allegra during the summer times. I'm going to recommend uh, this product because you said that room was uncomfortable. I'm going to recommend that product because you said that room was uncomfortable. Whatever it is, recommend solutions based on all the problems you uncovered in the investigation stage. Once you recommend those solutions, obviously you're going to write down a number. There's going to be some dollar value associated with every solution. You write that stuff down, and at some point you're going to have a list of three or four or five potential solutions. And you're going to say this, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, based on everything you've told me here today, these are the solutions I'm going to recommend to take care of all of your problems. Every problem we've discovered here today. Now, here's the thing. I realize there's other companies around town that could take care of these problems for you, but if you trust me, you trust my company, a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, everything's going to happen just the way that it should, just the way I told you. Our guys are going to come in, be clean and quiet, and move on about their way, right? Number two, if there's any kind of problem whatsoever, I personally will move heaven and earth to make sure that's right. 
So the only question I have for you now is very simple. Will you trust me with these recommendations? You see, at that point, I simply want them to make a yes or no decision. And no is a perfectly acceptable answer. Again, yes is best, but a no is okay. The no's aren't going to kill you in sales. What will destroy you is the I don't know's that call me backs. So you got to be able to ask once, formally, and then you may have to ask a couple of more times, right? And I'll show you how to do that in just a moment. But the thing is, right now, you got to be thinking, okay, I've got to go in there, and I've got to bring this all to a conclusion, and I've got to, you know, leverage my relationship, leverage my great company, recommend solutions to their problems, and ask for the order, right? That's the main thing. you got to ask for the order and make sure that the solutions are specifically tied to problems that they have, right? In other words, the solutions have to make sense to the homeowner. You can't just make some random solutions. They have to be something you discover in the investigation stage. Now, here's what you got to keep in mind. Uh, many studies have been done that show the vast majority, somewhere between 70% and 85% of all sales presentations end without the salesperson formally asking for the order even once. Think about that for a second. That means most sales calls in every industry, not just our industry, every industry ends with the salesperson saying, oh, so here's some ideas. Uh, if you decide you want to do some of this stuff, give me a call, right? That is not a formal request. A formal request is, here's what I'm going to recommend. Here's why. Will you trust me with these recommendations? A specific ask. Because here's another statistic I've read many, many times. Customers uh, say in many surveys that they have to be asked two or three or four times before they will finally say yes on any situation. Not just about buying something, but just in human nature, right? Sometimes we have to be asked two or three times before we agree to something. So if you have 80% of technicians out there who are not asking for the order, and you have the majority of homeowners who say they have to be asked two or three times before they say yes, that's a pretty big divide. That's a pretty big gap, right? We got to be one of those 20% who are specifically asking for the order. And sometimes you may ask a second or third time. How do you do that? It's very simple. You know, the first ask may be, will you trust me with this project? Trust me with these recommendations. And they may go off about one thing or another and just let them go off. And you know, if you need to, change the subject and come back five minutes later and say, hey, what do you say we go ahead and get you an installation date, right? That's another way to ask. Just informally, right? But specifically ask for the business. You know, with your signature, we can go ahead and get started. However you want to ask is fine. The key thing is to make sure that you're asking for the business bring the call to a reasonable and logical conclusion. Well, another week has gone by and another week of great questions. And I want to, you know, really uh, recommend that you do submit your questions because I want to answer them here. Uh, we have experts. We have Gary. We have uh, Drew. We have, well, we have me. But we have two experts in me, <laughs> as I like to say. But we'll answer your questions. So here's a couple that came in. Number one, uh, what's your advice on getting into attic renovation, right? We're always looking for opportunities to expand our business. There's two ways to grow your business, right? You can attract new customers or you can sell more stuff to your existing customers, right? And of course, we want to do both of those things. So Gary's going to address this question about should I get into attic renovations in an effort to increase my business? We are looking to get into, the, into attic renovations. Insulation removal, seal attic from home, radiant, barrier, et cetera. Any advice or recommendations? Yeah, I mean, we're not in that space. I haven't been in that space since the 2004 through 2011. Uh, we did some of that uh, up in the uh, Ohio area. But uh, I think one of the things that you want to be aware of is uh, that you're, 
you're dealing with more labor on those types of applications. And that's not a bad thing. Um, in fact, it's an opportunity. I think you want to look at it as a real opportunity. Um, I think the pricing question becomes, how do you want to organize the deployment of your labor? You're, you're facing technician and installation shortages, so we don't want to underprice our labor. That's the one commodity that we sell. Uh, we can package anybody's box pretty much uh, without any problem. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're packaging our crew days and our labor days uh, appropriately. So um, using dual overhead would be one of the methods I would encourage you to price to make sure that you understand how overhead is moving through with labor. Uh, single overhead labor ratio would be another method that Drew teaches that I would use uh, just to make sure that you're evaluating when you when you begin selling jobs that are lower on material and higher on labor. Um, the cost of labor uh, does increase overhead somewhat in a business. Um, high material, low labor jobs are kind of the, the pressure points that we like. Uh, high labor, low material jobs tend to have more consumption, more vehicle maintenance, more vehicle depreciation, more gasoline, more trips, uh, more usage items as well. Uh, so what we just want to be sure we're doing is we're pricing for profitability, that we're recovering the dollars that we want for the deployment of that labor because you would have sold that elsewhere. Um, and then uh, I think what you want to also do is, you know, if you're looking at getting into those spaces, um, it's always a good idea to model companies that are successful in that space already. I think what you want to do is you want to maybe uh, talk through uh, with those businesses and your network groups. EGI is a part of that. Contractor Connect, I think, is you know one of those places that you could do that. Find out what's going on that are successful companies have already been doing and and model those behavior patterns. So not just the sales process, the operations excellence, uh, you know, on that side of it, but the pricing and the sales process as well. So, um, yeah, I, I love those opportunities. Now, we do uh, a lot of duct systems and we do a lot of insulation and we do a lot of that stuff out in Phoenix. Uh, but what we don't do is a lot of hydronics. So uh, uh, and we almost always use dual overhead to price those jobs just because they're just a little bit higher in labor. And so the price is typically higher. Um, I'm going to quote you some factors from last year. Uh, 1.74 would have been the labor factor we would have used and 1.07 would have been a material factor. So a high material job would get, you know, the 1.07, which is going to be a much more competitive uh, cost association. Uh, 1.74 with labor is going to be a much higher number as it attaches itself. So all things being equal, the labor is creating more overhead in the business. So definitely uh, follow those processes and make sure you understand that that's, that's part of the deal. The next question Gary is also going to deal with, which is how to track digital conversions. Listen, we all know that marketing is an important part of our business, and there's no better expert in this uh, than Gary Ellix in terms of you know, how to leverage the digital marketing on the internet and all those types of things to drive traffic to your, to your website and into your company. The key is how do you track the digital conversions? How do you measure your cost per lead? Take a quick listen to Gary Ellix as he addresses this question. I like the question because it actually assumes that we need to track digital conversions. So that's the first really cool part about that question. Um, digital conversions are, are very easy to track. Google makes uh, Google Analytics available uh, that can be installed as a baseline dashboard on all websites. It, and it doesn't matter if it's a, a really basic website or, you know, if it's a Ferrari style design. Uh, Google Analytics wants you to track the conversions. Uh, they're interested in you spending more money. They're, um, that's their whole business model. So they've done a nice job of building that. Um, a more sophisticated 
web provider will probably have a customized dashboard. And that dashboard will also, you know, go to farther lengths to create uh, cost per leads and uh, segregate where those leads are coming from. So, for example, email marketing is a place that we have that's a very separate type of a medium, even though it's digital and it's part of the database of a company. Um, everything is linked back through the dashboard system so that the digital conversion on a on basically an electronic uh, drip campaign is tracked separately. So how many clicks, uh, what was the click through and conversion ratio? Uh, oh, at some point, hopefully we actually sell something to somebody. Uh, so we want to track that as well. Uh, social media, uh, obviously SEO, which is the organic searches, paid search. You might have Bing, you might have Google. Uh, you might be doing remarketing uh, with big data now. Uh, we're able to track all of Wally's web habits and history. And so um, anything that he does and touches that, we can grab a hold of that information through big data and ultimately feed him back a remarketed ad that represents keywords if we were in that space. Uh, so I was. Uh, in Philadelphia giving a keynote speech and I was joking around that when I turned 50, the AARP people, you know, had me on the database and essentially I started getting Viagra calls on my cell phone routinely. And, you know, I'm like, I don't understand why this is happening. And of course it's big data. They're, they're grabbing a hold of the fact that your birth date is X. As soon as I crossed over my birth date, it started happening. Pharmacy calls from Canada. Uh, and then all you have to do is click on a website anywhere and that cookie is placed there. So the purpose of the conversions uh, and tracking that is based on the idea of segmenting your digital space. So um, Google will help you do that. But I think your provider needs to be, you know, maybe the next level up, which is, you know, tracking those independently. Um, I'll also suggest that right now there's some pretty cool innovations that are going on in lots of different technology spaces. Um, one of them is the artificial intelligence tracking and call scoring and identification system. So uh, we've pretty much built our own, but there, it's out there as well. Um, different companies will market different products. But essentially, if somebody calls in, we're recording the call, but we're also transcribing that call for keywords. We've told the keywords such as maintenance, uh, service agreements, you know, if you call your club ESA, energy savings agreement, whatever the keywords are that are installed in there. Um, all of that is recorded, tracked against an algorithm that's then built and scored. So if the score of the call is 85 or greater, we would say, hey, that's a good call. We did a nice job. We don't really need to worry about that. But if the call is 84 or less, we would flag that. The script would get printed, sent to the owner or service manager of the business or multiple people. And there would be immediate opportunity to debrief on what happened on that call from a conversion point of view. So artificial intelligence on your call tracking and call scoring system is something that um, a lot of companies don't offer. It, it, it adds some cost to the technology, but it's something that if you're spending money uh, on marketing and you're out there trying to create a lead, I think you want to know if somebody actually called you that in fact it's useful and worthwhile. Uh, so I think that you not only should track your digital conversions, uh, but you should track the elements or the mediums where those conversions are from. You should score them for cost per lead. And I think you then is, have a responsibility, as I do as a contractor, to look at the actual transactions that occurred and say, what's the measurement there? Uh, cost per conversion, cost per sale, cost per gross profit, and so forth. Uh, so 
um, I could spend an entire day on the answering that question and go into a lot more detail, but I think the, the general con, uh, consensus here from my point of view is that definitely get into the Google Analytics, definitely have your own custom dashboard if you can, definitely move forward in tracking all those analytics. The future of media is basically going to be 100% digital at some point. It's just not that far away. Um, in 1999, Bill Gates predicted everybody would be walking around with a personal device and within about eight years the iphone was out uh, and now pretty much that's what we use in order to do most of our searches about 65 percent of the searches worldwide are now done through the mobile devices um, that's not going to change that's going to accelerate and the big data systems that are out there are real and i literally can put information on your instagram that quickly if i have access to your web url browser history which i have if i place a cookie on it if you visited my site so um, essentially, I can tell you an awful lot demographically and psychographically about you. So tracking the digital conversion to me is how you're going to learn in your business, how your money being spent is actually being useful, you know, as we move away from traditional medias, you know, such as direct mail. It's just not going to be that long before email marketing substitutes. If you had the email addresses already, I would be using the digital side of that and not the paper side of it. Um, a lot of companies don't and haven't, so that's those are things that you do. So the last element of this question would be to prepare better in your operational and your marketing practices to become more digital. And uh, what that's going to do for all of us is just give a lot more accountability to, to your money, uh, more accountability to the agency that you would be doing business with, and just a lot more focus. So, yeah, pretty cool question. Now, in addition to marketing, digital marketing, any kind of mar marketing, we all know that what we want to do is to grow our service department and to grow our, our base of you know, service agreement customers. So this next question is one that yours truly, myself, actually answered. What's the best way to build a service agreement into every new sale, every new install? So, I mean, I, I think this question is as simple as it seems. Uh, certainly, uh, I would recommend building in you know, two or three years or so of the extended service agreement with the, with the, with the, you know, the new install, with the sale of that new install. Uh, it's going to be a very, very small percentage, obviously, of a 10 or 15 or 20,000 old system to add in a few hundred bucks. Uh, but you, you want to maintain that relationship, obviously, with the homeowner. And there won't be a whole lot of uh, maintenance, obviously, in the first uh, couple of years, other than just keeping it clean, that type of thing. But what it does is it presents an opportunity to look for other problems potentially that you can solve for your homeowner. We were just talking about ductwork and attic insulation. I've got a client that I'm working with now that decided last year, uh, last October, November, that they wanted to make attic insulation and ductwork, you know, a, a major priority this year because they're, you know, they're extremely profitable, high margin uh, services. And uh, so we set some pretty ambitious benchmarks of 175,000 in, in uh, attic insulation and 200,000 in ductwork. And and uh, January was the first month that went out there with this initiative, and we hit it. And so it was additional, you know, almost $400,000 in revenue just by really making that a priority. So, you know, the service agreements give you the opportunity to do that. Ideally, in a perfect world, our sales consultants, our advisors are selling that with the system. The reality is sometimes that's overlooked. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes comfort advisors are intimidated to try to go for an additional five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars for ductwork and attic insulation when they're selling a twenty thousand dollar system already. Uh, that's unfortunate, but sometimes it happens. But the good news is, if you have your service techs in there 
you know, afterwards, they can look for those opportunities and turn those leads back to the sales department. So I would simply just build it in, add the few hundred dollars of whatever it is that you charge, uh, depending on the nature of your service agreement. And just, I wouldn't even mention it, except that, you know, by the way, with your purchase today, with this new system investment that we're going to cover you, you know, for the next three years or five years or whatever it is, we'll be out twice a year uh, to inspect the furnace, to inspect the air conditioning system. I have another client, by the way, that they do plumbing. And so they include at no charge a free plumbing inspection with that every year as well. So they get their plumbing inspectors, or their, what they call PSI techs, plumbing service uh, inspection techs in the house once a year to look for water heaters, to look for water treatment, faucets, that type of thing. So the real thing is, the real opportunity is to get some type of service agreement so that we can get back in front of that homeowner on a regular ongoing basis. Just build it into the agreement uh, and tell the homeowner this system includes three years of bumper-to-bumper uh, -bumper service, you know. And uh, I think that's as simple as the question. I think this, the question is that simple. And, and I think it, the answer is just that simple as well. Well, folks, I hope that information was helpful to you. Remember, RISC, two weeks ago, week before that, last week, whenever it was, relationship investigation stage. This week, we talked about solving the problem, bringing the call to a conclusion, right? Now, listen, all of these programs are explained in way more detail in our core training programs. Again, if you're a member, get in there and take the training. If you're not a member, get a sample, you know, get a temporary access and see if you like the training. But we go into much deeper detail on all these questions on the core training program. Again, I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.